Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode two of Frogs Insider, bringing you the best coverage from around TCU as part of the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Network. Uh, here with my co-host, as always, Jamie Plunkett. I'm Melissa Trebowasser. Uh, Jamie, there's a lot going on in TCU athletics for April. Uh, and excited to talk about some of it with, with you here over the next uh, 30 or 40 minutes. I might be longer than that. I mean, I'm going to get long-winded about some of this stuff. Our run sheet's almost a full page. It's never that long. It's two pages. Shit. So, oh, well, I've already cussed in this. I don't know if we're allowed to cuss in this, but I've already They didn't one, so. say that we weren't. So well, I'm going to take that. Just going to break the seal right there and leave yeah. that in when I edit. But um, yeah, I'm excited. This is obviously... We talked about this a lot last episode, just how cool of an opportunity this is to be a part of the Republic of Football Network with Dave Campbell's and just such a reputable organization and, and you know, just kind of a tradition in, in the great state of Texas around football, a little bit of basketball now, and, and they've got big plans for the future as well. So pretty excited to, to get in at this level with them. And yeah, like you said, it's April 2nd when we're recording this and there's still just a whole host of TCU news to, to talk about, which means that things are going right over there on campus. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm really excited to infiltrate uh, Dave Campbell's with college baseball as well, uh, which is something that, that you and I both follow pretty closely, um, especially TCU baseball and coming off of a wild weekend in Lubbock. Uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, later, but I think before we jump into baseball, the biggest news around TCU is with the football program, and that's because Pro Day was held last week. You were there um, at the, the Sandbot Indoor Practice Facility. Uh, there was lots of video, lots of coverage coming out on that. Uh, let's kind of jump right into Pro Day and and who you thought kind of made a, might have raised their stock over the course of, of that morning. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, everybody was, every team was represented from the NFL. There were a couple head coaches there. Bill Belichick was there. Brian Dable was there with the New York Giants. Um, every team had a scout. The uh, Winnipeg CFL team also had scouts there, which was pretty fun. There was a guy with a blue hat with like what looked a lot like the Washington Commanders W on it. And I was very confused until I walked up and saw his sleeve and it uh, had their little logo on it said cfl on his shirt and i was like oh okay that's pretty pretty cool that you know this is a, now an international event tcu pro day but uh um i think the you know the overall feel of the day was very positive you know every guy had good workouts you know quentin johnson was the main main focus point for most of the teams that were there you know um we'll get into projections here in a little bit but you know he's had a lot of conversations with the new york giants who have the 25th overall pick and i think if he's still there at that point they're going to snatch him up. It's all a matter of whether or not he makes it there. He had, he had a lot of good conversations that day, you know, standing in front of everybody talking to Brian Dable. He also had a long conversation with Bill Belichick. So um, I think things are going really well for Quentin. His 40 time was really interesting because his first 40 looked slow. It just looked slow. His second 40 looked a lot better. Uh, and when the times came back, I was kind of trying to weasel my wins. You know, NFL scouts are so mm -hmm. like, close to the vest with all yeah. of the data that they gather and all of the information, they don't want to tip their hand. Uh, and I get it. It's a lot of mind games leading into the NFL draft this time of year. It's just so different than all of my interactions with like baseball scouts yeah. who you ask them one question and then they're going to talk to you for an hour. Uh, and so I, I was kind of working my way into the group, you know, Mark Cohen, I love him and I'm very thankful for everything he's done for us over the years was trying to usher all of the media off to a sideline. And I just kind of kept trying to make my way closer and closer <laughs> to where all the scouts were standing. But uh, I ended up working my way over to, we'll just say uh, an NFC North 
team. Uh, we're not going to narrow it down any further than that. Uh, and I convinced one of the scouts to show me his stopwatch on, on Quentin's second 40 time. And it was a four five flat. Wow. Um, so I don't know that he necessarily ran the best 40 that he wanted to run that day, but everything else he did was very impressive. His, uh, me his measurements were all good. His, um, drill work was really good. Uh, another funny note though, there was a little bit of a back and forth between his agent and some of the scouts when he was doing the shuttle. Um, because apparently he didn't fully reach down and touch a line. And so a couple of the scouts like called him back to, to run it again, but he had already walked off and started talking with his agent about something else. And so two of the scouts, I think one was for the Browns, one was for the Panthers, maybe kind of called him back over and said, Hey, would you, would you run this again? Would you run this again? And his agent just from like 30 yards away, starts shouting at them. Like, you've got the time you're he's fine. You've got the time. He's good. They're like, well, he didn't touch the line. So we don't actually have the time. And he's like, you've got uh, you it from the, you've got it from the combine. You've got it from the combine. Yeah. You so don't want to get drafted like, by the Browns or the Panthers look, until they, yeah. you know, who the quarterback <laughs> is going to be in Carolina. So I'm fine with that. <laughs> clearly don't a tactical move, clearly a yeah. tactical move from QJ's agent, but ended up walking back over there and just said, it's fine. I'll just, I'll do it again. And you know, did, did a great job with it. So caught a lot of passes, had a couple drops, talked about that. Um, we can, we, we've got some audio we can listen to here in a minute of Quentin talking about some of those drops and how he rebounded from that. But overall, I think it was a very good day for him. I think he had, he had three drops today. Two. There was one in okay. the flat. One, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, for sure. But to get that, that last catch and that yeah. deep bomb point was that for you yeah. just to show everybody that I could catch these balls oh yeah got to and uh, especially because you know that was the last drill we was doing I came in and have all these people come out here and watch my last pass be a drop and I just kind of walk off like you know forget it yeah no I was I was, I was tired so that's why, that's why I dropped the first two but I, I, there's really no excuse for that uh, came back and kind of you know kind of finished it clean um, you know uh, all the coaches come out here to see not only you know you know how perfect you can catch the ball but how you gonna respond and stuff like that so I feel like I did pretty good on that the guy I think, though, that had the best day possible at Pro Day was Amari Di Mercado. Mm -hmm. Amari tested out of the building. I, he, he did so great. He was bigger than people thought. His 40 time was, uh, I was told, high four threes, low four fours. Mm -hmm. And he also had an opportunity to catch a lot of passes from Max on the day, which is not something that he was able to showcase throughout the season. So he said that in his time talking with scouts, they really were hopeful to have an opportunity to see him catch some more passes. Uh, and he did that. And he did that really, really well for TCU's pro day. Now I will say he had the benefit of an injury helping him out because during Gunnar Henderson's second 40 during which he was flying and I'm not kidding. He was, that was a sub four, four that he was running. He popped a hamstring. Mm. He popped it about 35 yards into this 40. I heard it pop. I was standing maybe 20 oh. feet away. Uh, and he, he, he went, he went straight down. Like he, he crossed the line, got about 10 more yards and, and just went straight to the ground. Obviously a heartbreaking situation for him because he was another guy that was testing really, really well and could have maybe gotten a UDFA shot had everything gone his way. I mean, he had, he had the best vertical of the day of any horn frog at 33 and a half inches. He did 15 reps on the bench. Um, and then he, like I said, he, he had like a nine eleven broad jump. I mean, he wow. was, he was testing incredibly well and then he had this injury. And so I don't know what his status is going to be moving forward, but because of that, 
Di Mercado had more more opportunities to catch passes from Max, and I don't think he dropped a pass on the day. I mean, Max had a couple behind him. Max had a couple low. He went down and got him. He stopped it. He he did everything he needed to do. Di Mercado did, I think, to get more looks from some coaches. So that you know, that's really cool to see for a guy that you know has been a, a backup for pretty much his entire collegiate yeah. career. Yeah, it's really awesome to see him, especially having taken advantage of the opportunities presented to him, um, you know, both in the Fiesta Bowl and, and then on into Pro Day. Um, that's a guy that I don't think anybody would have thought he had even an outside chance of being a draft pick coming into this season, um, you know, just kind of based on, on you know, his production over the last 34 years that he's been in a TCU uniform. Um, but really cool to see him, you know, maybe work his way into the conversation as a sixth, seventh round pack uh, pick, or definitely get to get a camp and buy it. Um, and you can never have enough running backs in the NFL. And, and I think the one thing we know about Amari is uh, he, he will keep working if he's given that opportunity and he'll make mm-hmm. the most of it. So I, I fully expect him to be, you know, at NFL camp this summer and would not shock me whatsoever if he makes a roster or practice squad this fall. Yeah. And yeah, that's, and the thing about Di Mercado too, is you have to talk to him once to figure out what kind of guy he is. I yeah. mean, he's got like nine degrees at this point. He's been yeah. in college for the last 25 years. So I mean, he's such a smart guy and um, he, he is going to be able to pick up a playbook really, really quickly. He understands his responsibilities in the backfield beyond just carrying the football. I mean, we've said for years, right. That he's the best blocking running back TCU has had yeah. since he's gotten on campus. And, and I think that'll translate really, really well to the next level. He's going to be willing to do special teams. He's going to be willing yeah. to do whatever, whatever is required of him to grind it out, to make a roster, and you need guys like that. And like you mentioned, you know, we see, I, th- I mean, you look at the salaries of the last, you know, eight running backs on Super Bowl winning teams. None of them have been big deals. Yeah. None of them have been like these Zeke Elliott's contracts, these Saquon Barkley contracts, anything like that. They've been somewhat under the radar guys who are just going out there and doing their job. And in a league that's going more and more running back by committee, there's no reason why. Di Mercado can't latch on somewhere yeah. and have a, a moderately successful NFL career. Mari, uh, pretty good uh, performance out there today. Yeah. What kind of feedback were you getting from the coaches out there, scouts? Uh, just hearing some good things about my 40, you know, I think that was the biggest question a lot of people had, like my speed. So just to be able to come out here and showcase that, uh, some good, good feeling paying off all that hard work. What was, uh, what was your time for? Uh, I've heard like low 4-4, like some people had high 4-3. I don't know the official time yet, so we'll see. <laughs> What about what you showed as a receiver? I don't think you dropped a pass when you were working out yeah. with Matt Swag. How much do you think you showed them? Yeah, I think that helped a lot because we didn't throw the ball to running back a lot. So I think that was another thing, that question, like, can we catch me and Kendrick? Like, we both heard that a lot. So just to come out here and be able to show that, just showcasing more of my business. You talk about guys that, you know, are really smart guys, great off the field, and, and that, you know, have the versatility, the willingness to do everything. I think that transitions – perfectly into Steve Avila um you know another guy who I think has really moved up draft boards um in the offseason both at the NFL combine at the pro day and really just the best thing that Steve could do is get to talk to NFL teams because much like Amari you can't have a five-minute conversation without Steve without being like that's a guy that I want in my life that I want to be around um just for his leadership ability his character um but also like you know he's started I think four of the five positions on the line and he's also played a little bit of left tackle I don't think he had the left tackle start in college but listening to his audio from pro day I'm sure we'll drop some of that in as well um just such an impressive person you know he talked about 
becoming more of a vocal leader in, in his final collegiate season and how he kind of took the team to task after a practice because he was so sick of losing. I mm-hmm. thought that that was a great clip. Um, you know, he he talked about just how TCU has grown him up as a, as a person, you know, both on and off the field um, and making the transition from being a college football player to a professional and, and how prepared he's been for that because of his experience. My favorite part of, of his interview, though, was him talking about where he was going to hold his draft party and saying that, you know, he'd always come home to TCU, he'd always come home to TCU, and that's where he was going to have this celebration, where he was going to watch the draft because he wanted it to be at the place that so many of the people responsible for him getting to this point are. And I think that's going to be a really, really cool moment. Great for TCU as a university, great for Steve and his family, um, and just really epitomizes who Steve Avila is a person. Um, and, and I think he's... He's got several top 30 visits that he's mm-hmm. been asked to take with four or five teams. I would not be shocked if he sneaks late into the first or goes early in the second round um, because he just has had, it might be a little generous. I think he's probably a, a second rounder for sure. But if he gets, if he gets the right team, mm-hmm. maybe trades up to go grab him. I, I just, I think he's, he's, he's going to be high on a lot of draft boards. Maybe not a first round pick. That might be a little too generous, but absolutely a guy that's going to hear his name called by, by the early in the in day two. Yeah, I, I agree. So Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com has a Steve Avila, his number 45 overall prospect, which would slate him somewhere around the middle of the second round. But those generally are a little bit skewed because they don't really take into consideration who is drafting when and and what the needs are of those teams, like that kind of thing. So he's 45th overall prospect, which means Daniel Jeremiah is essentially saying he's the 45th best player in this draft for comparison. He's got Quentin Johnson at 29. So, Mm. you know, not a lot of separation there between Steve and and Quentin, but one of my, and and one of my favorite things about Steve, I'm not, I'm getting off on a tangent. This is what I was going to say. I have two dream scenarios for the NFL draft this year. Don't dad, send him to the Cowboys. Look, Don't do it. Don't. Look, He's way too good of a player. He deserves better. No, listen. I have watched for the last several years now as my alma mater has produced first-round talent after first-round talent after first-round talent in the NFL and the NBA, and every single time, Hey, Josh Green team. has been pretty good this year, though. I, I don't mean, want to talk know. about Josh Green. Don't you talk to me about Josh Green. Listen, every time I get my hopes up and then the Cowboys don't draft a TCU player or the Mavericks bewilderingly don't draft Desmond Bain at 17 overall and let him go to Memphis. Or or 20, what was it, 29? They could have gotten him again. No, so 30. They, they had the first first pick in the second round that's right that's right and that's memphis right. trade boston picked him with the last pick of the first round that memphis traded for that's him. right and so they they so the, who did they take tyrell terry who is out of the league already who? so yeah yep uh terry's had his been a big mental health advocate so just going to note that i do know that history there and i'm very proud of yeah. him for taking care of himself yes, and absolutely. also the dallas mavericks could have had desmond bain i'm gonna be yeah. pissed about that for a really long time so sure. um my dream scenario for this year in the nfl draft is that some somewhere along the way 25 general managers lose their minds and don't draft quentin johnston until 26 which is where the cowboys pick and so the cowboys get to pair quentin johnston with cd lamb and that would be amazing but that unfortunately, also with Dak Prescott. So listen, he's he, listen, we'll, <laughs> we'll get there at some point. They'll draft Max in the fifth and everything will be fine. Um, or they they decide that, hey, we want a guard at 26. We don't want uh, a Torrance from Florida. We want the local hometown kid, Steve Avila. 
The Cowboys have had a lot of conversations with Steve already. Steve has really been uh, impressed by the Dallas Cowboys as, a, you know, he's from Arlington, right? Like he's a local kid. He's grown up cheering for the Cowboys. I asked him about the Cowboys at Pro Day and he lit up like that would have been the, that would be the coolest opportunity to get oh, to play for kid. play with the star on his helmet. Listen, some of us, we can't help it. Okay. But I'm telling you right now, if I had a chance to play for the Dallas Cowboys and they called me on draft day and they said, Hey, we're taking you 26 overall. I'm wetting myself. I'm crying. And then I'm dancing around my neighborhood. For sure. Freaking for out. Sure. And I'm assuming that Steve will do one of those three things up there in the courts, up there in the uh, legends club. Hopefully uh, not. The peeing himself, it won't be the yeah. first or the second, but yeah. he will be dancing around celebrating regardless of when he gets drafted. But so that is my dream that Steve Avila becomes the left guard for the for the Dallas Cowboys and protects Dak so that he can actually stand in the pocket and get a pass off without getting obliterated because you know and while they're at it the Cowboys can just take Di Mercado so that they have a running back that's capable of actually blocking a blitzer and then then here you go you keep Dak upright and maybe he can complete a pass uh, yeah. in theory Anyways. You talk about running backs and teams that need running backs. Uh, Kendrick Miller also, you know, he's not able, not clear to do a lot of the drills, um, but it seems that his injury um, and his recovery has not held him back from being high on a lot of teams draft boards. You know, he's, he's a guy that's probably projected in, in the third round. Um, there was some concerns that he might fall down the boards a little bit, but um, it seems like his rehab is ahead of schedule. He was very um, optimistic and enthusiastic about his progress to this point and the teams that had taken an interest in him. Um, I, I think that it, he looked great, um, you know, on video. He, he looks still like big and strong and fast. Um, and I don't I don't know that he has a whole lot to prove. I think his, his tape mm-hmm. probably speaks for itself. Um, what were your impressions kind of coming away on on where Kendra is and what his what his options are going to look like is, is, you know, maybe a third, maybe a fourth round draft pick this, this April or later this month, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I had a chance cause you know, he wasn't participating in any of the drill work. So he was standing off to the sidelines watching and, uh, you know, I looked over and he was just kind of standing there watching. So I walked up and just had a really good conversation with him for, for quite a, a little while. He said there are about 15 teams that are uh, really checking in with him pretty consistently right wow. now. So that, you know, half the Great. league, that's not yeah. bad um, checking in on you. Um, but then later in the day, he did have a pretty extended conversation with Bill Belichick. Mm-hmm. Um, Belichick walked up to him and and I asked him about this afterwards. Uh, Kendra, not Belichick, but um, you didn't to talk clarify, to Bell. <laughs> I I did go up and introduce myself to Bill Belichick. That's a whole that's, cool. that's a whole that's cool. other podcast. That interaction was very uncomfortable. So, oh, I'm sure it was. <laughs> but but I'm not going to stand ten feet away from a legend. And, and yeah, sure. I have just just enough lack of self awareness to go up yeah. and introduce myself. So. Um, but anyways, Kendra was saying that, you know, Belichick came up to him, was really kind, asked him about his rehab, and then started talking to him about uh, several of his runs that he had against Tarleton State. And then he of started talking he to right, and then he started talking to him about Tarleton. a couple of the runs that he had against Cal, and then a couple of his runs against Texas Tech. And then and he's like, yeah, he's just, he just kept talking about like these speci- very specific runs that I had. And he said, he loved how consistent of a runner I was and hoped that I was getting healthy soon and compared him to Ramondre Stevenson and wow. just like heaping on all of this praise. And I, you know, Kendra is just kind of like pro- very clearly processing this on the spot. And I was like, you know, that's, that's probably a pretty good sign yeah. when a six time Super Bowl winning head coach in the NFL walks up to you and starts talking about your game tape, right? Like, and then comparing you to one of the best running backs in the league currently. Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it was dawning on him that, 
um, this was this was a pretty cool conversation that he had had with Belichick. But you know, I think with Kendra, you just got to turn on the film, turn on the film, watch him run, watch him block, and well, maybe don't watch him block, but watch him run, and uh, you know, just catch passes out of the backfield. Yeah. You got to do a little bit of that, yeah, yeah, and then just you know, let him do what he does. Hopefully, he gets fully healthy in time to to work out for a team or two. But I have no worries about Kendra Miller. Uh, so here here's a little bit of what Kendra had to say uh, following pro day. How long are you in your rehab process? Um, let's see. I, I started, then had surgery a month prior into uh, physical therapy, but uh, right now it's going like uh, really good. You know, I'm I'm way ahead of schedule uh, for my physical therapy, and you know I'll be back uh, way before they intentionally thought that I would. So that's that's good. Because you've been injured, what has your process been like talking to your teams? So um, with me, it's been like kind of the complete opposite of everybody else. Like uh, as much as, you know, they don't talk to them. I'm talking to teams like daily uh, Zooms all day and, and just things like that. Um, you know, they, they really want to talk to me just because I can't work out. The, so they really want to, you know, get to know me and different things. But, you know, it's been overall just a, a different experience that, you know, I'm just taking in and, and you know, it's fun. So just enjoying it. Are you getting a lot of positive feedback from teams? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, you know, a lot of teams showing interest. So, uh, for me, that's just like, you know, it's kind of I'm just waiting for that day uh, just to see who, who picks me up. So, you know, that will be fun, most definitely, and a, a dream come true. You know, the, kind of the takeaway from the pro day, obviously, is really disappointing that, that Gunnar Henderson popped a hamstring like that. I, I don't know what that does for his – prospects for signing with the team post-draft that was how he was going to get on though I mean there's that's just the realistic expectation for him isn't he though doesn't he give you perfectly CFL vibes and not in a negative way but isn't he the perfect CFL player and if Winnipeg was there before and and again not in a negative not that I don't think he's good enough but he's just the kind of guy that you feel like is going to land in that league have an incredible career do it for 10 or 12 years. Maybe he gets a cup of coffee in the NFL, but he can make a really good living. He can be super productive and he can, he can continue to play football at a really high level. Um, would not shock me at all if, if he, if he kind of puts in three or four good seasons, maybe he gets a tryout or something because he's got the tape, but he could eventually be that, you know, kind of small slot receiver in the NFL, but he's got a chance to be a really good player and have a really good career up North. And I, and I would not be shocked at all if despite the injury, he gets an opportunity to, to contribute in that league next fall. Yeah. I mean, it would be great. He's, he's an excellent pass catcher. He's got great hands and you know, up there in the, in the CFL, the wind is going to do crazy things with that weird shaped football on that insanely too big football field. So uh, he's a guy who, if you put him in space, I mean, he's, you know, kind of a jitterbug, can, can yeah. get out there in space and make some people miss. I, I think you're absolutely right. He'd be, he'd be great. He'd be absolutely great out there. Um, so one guy we haven't <laughs> talked about and, you know, it, it had some bright spots at the combine, but, but had, you know, maybe, maybe didn't show some of the things that people were hoping to see. And the pro day was a little bit erratic as well. So that's Max Duggan. Um, and it, it's going to be really, Max is not a guy who's going to perform well in a drill setting. He's a gamer, right? And you could use that as a compliment. You could use that as a criticism as well. Uh, what did you think that scouts were kind of viewing from Max uh, at TC's Pro Day? And and does he still have a shot to to get drafted or see a guy that's going to have to do it the hard way? Uh, I don't know that he did anything outside of what 
people have started to know him for at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he even said as much following his, following his workout was, you know, I think I've still got a lot of things to work on. He talked a lot. He's, he's been hearing a lot from teams. Uh, He's been getting consistent feedback from teams as well. It's kind of how he phrased it. And so what that tells me is that he's been hearing a lot of really good things. And then also consistently being told you need to work on X, Y, and Z. Now, I think, you know, his, his quarterbacks coach, Jordan Palmer was there for pro day kind of helping run the passing drills for him telling Quentin and Darius and Amari and Tay and everybody else what routes to run what they were doing and then kind of announcing that to the scouts so that he was kind of the the director of everything mm-hmm. and Max threw the ball pretty well he had a, he had a low throw to Quentin out in the flat that ended up being uh Calvin Watkins called it a drop afterwards and Quentin kind of corrected him and said <laughs> I only had two drops and then he said the one out in the flat and Quentin's like all right yeah we'll count that as a drop but um Good, good teammate. <laughs> yeah, he's going to wear that one because he knows he's getting his money, so he's going to help Max yep. out. But uh, I will say this. Max had probably three or four of the prettiest deep balls I've ever mm-hmm. seen him throw. Um, a couple to Darius, a couple to Quentin. Quentin dropped one that really kind of bummed everybody out because it was it was probably, I mean, it was probably 65 yards in the air. It was wow. a beautiful spiral, and it landed right right in his arms, and he just, just, they just fully dropped it. But I thought Max threw the ball pretty well. Um, but what stood out to me about Max was when he wasn't doing a drill or when he wasn't lifting a weight or doing some sort of kind of testing thing, he was right there next to the guy that was hmm. cheering him on, clapping him, hyping him up, like encouraging him and kind of pushing him to get that extra rep in or, or to get that extra 10th of a second off your time or just whatever it was. And that's the kind of intangible thing that will make an NFL team take a chance on him. When, when you've got, the, like you said, a gamer that can just come in there and motivate a locker room and be a leader uh, and, and do everything the right way, not be a problem on the field, not be a problem off the field. They will give quarterbacks like that a chance in this league. They've shown it time and time again. Look at Brock Purdy. Look at how long um, some of these other backups from the league, Matt Castle, right? Never yeah. was a starter. He had a 14-year NFL career because he was a, a hard worker and a good teammate. Well, I mean, Skylar Thompson started yeah. games this year. Tyler mm-hmm. Huntley Brock started Purdy. and won games this year. Yeah, Brock. Well, and Brock Purdy is in such an un, like unfair situation that he, you know, he had every perfect piece around him to be successful, and he took advantage sure. of it. But, yeah. but I mean, there there are guys that we watched in college closely and went, yeah, that guy's never going to play in the NFL. That started and won games this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I mean, I think like no offense to, I, I really do not want to rile up Kansas State fans, but I'm going to anyways. I mean, who would you rather have if you're a Miami Dolphins fan? Skylar Thompson or Max Duggan backing up to a? I don't know. We're biased, but I would say Max. They would say Skylar. I, but... I think they equally are as they're as equally effective runners. Mm-hmm. But I think Max is a slightly better passer than Skylar Thompson. Not that Max is an elite passer, but I think his passing is especially when you look at the deep ball. And if you've got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle you're going to be throwing the ball deep and I just throw it up, just throw it up up. and Max Max knows how to do that somewhere. Tyreek's down there somewhere. Just throw him him the ball. I mean, we could get off on Tua and whether he should even still be playing football at all or not, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there there are so many situations where you can see Max going in with an established quarterback in place and just being the guy that holds the clipboard, not causing any problems, right? Like we see backups in the league cause so many problems. Zach Wilson's about to do that with the jets when Aaron Rodgers finally moves over that direction, whenever that happens, right? Like 
there are backups in this league causing problems left and right. And then you've got guys like, you've got guys like Skylar Thompson who just, they're going to wait their time. They're going to do everything right. Brock Purdy doing everything right from a third stringer, you know, perspective and, you know, hell even Cooper rushed with the Cowboys, like just when you get a chance, you get a chance and then you probably go right back to having a headset on when the, when the starter gets healthy. So there's no reason that Max couldn't have a long, uh, sustained career in the league, but uh, how he gets uh, to that point, I'm not sure if it's going to be drafted or undrafted free agent yet. Well, speaking of quarterbacks, we've got quite the quarterback battle going on and, and maybe a little bit more of a competition than we thought we were going to have. And we heard that from the mouth of TCU's new offensive coordinator, the first time that Kendall Bryles has been released to the media for so many reasons. Um, we'll stick to the football side of it today uh just because i don't think you or i want to uh do anything other than that right in this moment um i'm having a good sunday i'd like to keep it one uh so uh kendall's first kind of words the media i don't think anything was surprising but i do think that we started to kind of see the difference between how he wants to run this offense versus how um uh, his predecessor garrett riley ran the offense the biggest thing that i think we're going to see is just the speed and the tempo that briles wants to push um in riley they played fast but there are levels of fast and the kendall briles fast is a completely different Look, wavelength it uh, spring practice has been a blur the first week and a half simply because i so I, we got to this point in the season last year with spring and i'm pretty sure i i came on a show at some point and i was like this is the fastest i've ever seen tcu's offense move just because they run at such a fast pace in practice where they're practicing essentially without an official setting the ball spotting the ball slowing them down all this stuff they're just getting up to the ball getting the signal snapping the ball and going and the whole purpose of that is to get into a game situation and then even when you're running your tempo you're going slower than you go in practice So you have more time to process, you have more time to think, and then it feels like the game is really slowing down for you. So kind of a mental game that you're playing with yourself to put yourself in a better situation to succeed on game day. That was last year. They're going almost twice as fast this year. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It is mind boggling to me that there was another gear that they could run this drill in this tempo drill, because it has been absolutely astounding to see how fast they are moving. It's also pretty interesting to hear some of what Kendall said kind of later on in his press conference, when I think it was Brian Esrich asked him about tempo specifically and said, you know, I know you want to go fast. I know um, Sonny wants to go fast, but is there such a thing as too fast? And this was what uh, Kendall Bryles had to say about that. Kendall, you, you like to play fast. Coach Dyke likes to play fast. Is there a point where it's too fast? Like, can it be too fast, or is there no no limit? Like three and a half too fast? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. We don't like those yeah, right, at all. Right. Um, but tempo-wise, I mean, it, it, is there a point where you, where you will even say, okay, let's back off the gas a little bit here? Yeah, I mean, if we got a lead and it's in the fourth quarter and we need to control the game and keep our defense off the field, if they just went out there and, you know, went through the 11-play drive, you know, all those things – um, from a coaching standpoint, from a team standpoint, um, you have to take into account, you know. So, yes, we want to play with tempo, and everything's going to start with tempo. But, obviously, I'm, I'm watching the football game and seeing, you know, what's happening. So, there's different ways. Uh, we can disguise tempo by slowing it down, by shifts and motions and huddles and doing different things where when we approach the line, it, it still has a tempo feel to the defense because we don't just line up forever and show them exactly what we're doing. 
Uh, so there's there's ways to, to be able to mask that as well. But yeah, I mean, everything from an installation standpoint right now is getting them to play as fast as they can, knowing that when we get, uh, even tomorrow, if we have officials out there tomorrow, it's not gonna be as fast as we're practicing right now. It's just not, those guys are gonna have to get the ball inside. They're gonna hold this a little bit, make sure that the officials are set, get out. So it's gonna slow down. And But if you can go out there and practice it this way, and then everything gets to slow down, it makes it easier to process and see signals and, and know where to get lined up. Um, so yeah, the game will naturally slow itself down once you get on the field. So Melissa, what, what, what stood out to me about that quote is, is the, he sounded a lot like, TCU's associate head coach, TJ Bruce for baseball. Mm. Uh, you know, after the first weekend when TCU had gone out there and scored 39 runs in three games, I kind of asked him about the offense and, you know, was this his expectation for what the offense was going to look like? Um, and his response was really, you know, we just need to do what the game dictates we need to do and we need to execute at a high level to win baseball games. And to me, there's a lot of, there are a lot of similarities between what TJ was talking about with baseball and what Kendall is talking about with the football team this year. And so far as, look, we just want to win. And if there's a situation where we need to burn a lot of clock, there are ways that we can do that and make it still feel like it's up tempo. If we need to kick a field goal at the end of the game to win three to two, we're going to kick a field goal at the end of the game to win three to two, right? Like there is no one singular way that we are going to continue to slam our head against the wall if the game is dictating that we do something else. And that's an impressive kind of off a mature way to, to view your offense, I think. And we saw that from Garrett a couple of times last year, the Texas game specifically comes to mind for me with that. But I, I think it's really nice to have, um, uh, an assistant coach in place who is willing to kind of let the game come to him a little bit and, and just be able to adapt and adjust on the fly when the situation calls for it. So let me play devil's advocate a little bit, saying all the right things in April, March and April, sure. right? Saying mm -hmm. all the right things over the course of your career. And we we've seen this before. I mean, we saw Gary Patterson say that about the offense until he didn't want to do it anymore. You know, we, we saw Garrett Riley say the same things about the offense. And sometimes we saw him put that into practice. You bring up the Texas game and other times it felt like maybe that wasn't what was actually happening. I can kind of think back to the, the big 12 championship where it felt like mm -hmm. not really meeting the, the, the tempo of the moment. Um, and everybody wants to talk about Kendall Brown's track record and that, that, you know, he's, he's one of the most successful offensive coordinators in the country. And that, you know, the, I think the 17th, most explosive or efficient offense last year with Arkansas. But at the end of the day, his teams haven't won at a high level since he was at where we shall not be named. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so you start to wonder, you know, how much of that is, is saying the right things and how much of that is going to get put into practice this season. And I think the biggest question mark obviously is, how effective can TCU's offense be with the quarterback situation that they have? And the early returns out of spring ball is how much better the defense is performing as they should be. They bring back a lot more pieces on that side of the ball, mm -hmm. but can Kendall Browse continue to uh, practice what he's preaching and make those adjustments against his own defense so that when it comes to oppos opposing teams coming in, that they're able to do that same thing. So um, it all, everybody's zero, zero, everybody could be big 12 champion right now. Um, everybody looks good in practice. Everybody's doing the right things. 
Um, but it's going to be really interesting to say, see how that speaking plays out when you do have a very offensive minded head coach. Now you do have a very offensive, a, a tempo offensive minded associate head coach, offensive coordinator, and you're going into a league where your offense probably took more hints than anybody as far as losing guys to the draft and graduation. And it's going to be behind most other teams in that regard, at least most of the, the teams that are truly competing for a big 12 championship. Yeah. And I, I think there's something to that. I think, you know, like we saw at the beginning of last year where the expectation was that the offense is going to have to carry the defense's water for a while mm -hmm. while people learn Joe Gillespie's system. The the reverse is true this year where Gillespie's defense is going to have to carry some of that water early on. I also, and, and this is probably going to, you're going to give me a little bit of flack for this, but the SEC West is harder to play than the Big 12. And I think that you can be more consistently successful when you are running an up-tempo offense in the Big 12 than maybe you can be when you're playing Bama and LSU and even Ole Miss and Mississippi State who are going to really try to dominate you in the trenches and throw your whole game yeah. off, right? Like we're yeah. not going to see trench warfare like we did in the national championship at any point in time on the big 12 schedule next year. And we saw what happened when you ran up against that yeah. freaking absolute perfect machine of Georgia, right? You're not going to, you're not going to, I mean, you're going to have really good defenses, right? Kansas state's going to be a really good defense. Texas is going to be a really good defense. Um, but beyond that, like this is, this is, there's some, I think uh, room to grow for this new offensive system with guys who haven't really proven it quite yet yeah. now again you're probably going to drop a couple games because of that and we, we're you know i think everybody will be right to criticize when that happens but at the same time your expectations for the defense are a little bit higher and so maybe you're going to win some games 17 to 14 that last year you would have won 31 to 24 right yeah uh, and and so you know there's there's some give and take from year to year but I think you're absolutely right when you're playing devil's advocate to say, look, with all of the lack, with all of the lost production and another new system for the second consecutive year, what kind of impact is that going to have? I mean, I think that's a, that's a completely fair question to ask. I, I think too, you know, the, the other question has got to come back to the quarterback situation. And I don't think mm -hmm. anybody that follows TCU football is, or should be comfortable with just having two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. One, um, who who I, I hate to keep tagging Chandler Morris with the injury history, but it's a fact is that, you know, he's he's had multiple opportunities and hasn't been able to stay healthy after that first start. Um, and, and we all hope that he's healthy and that he proves everybody that he is the guy and he should be the guy. And he's the guy that won the job a year ago over the eventual Heisman runner up. Um, mm -hmm. And and then, you know, Josh, Josh Hoover, who um, seems to have the pieces, but does not. I don't I don't think many people would be super comfortable if he won the job out of camp. I think we'd be in we'd be in trouble if that were the case. Um, there will be more portal shopping after spring practice. I think everybody is well aware of that. Um, you know, both Sonny Dykes, uh, Garrett Riley before he left, and then um, Kendall Bryles, although he came in at a, at a tough time to do this, took big swings and misses in the portal on quarterbacks in January, you know, in December mm -hmm. and January. Um, it will be the crop that comes out this time probably won't be quite the big names that we're seeing, but there'll certainly be an experienced guy or two that pops up that people are surprised to see. Um, do you think just, I mean, we're a week and a half into this thing. Will they go portal shopping looking for somebody to truly challenge Chandler Morris for the starting job or more of somebody that could be a reliable backup in case he does get hurt again? I think it's the latter. I, you know, I don't think that they were ever truly portal shopping for a, a starter the first time around. Um, 
you know, they had at that point, Marcos Davila committed for the 2024 class four-star kid out of Midland Lee, um, sorry, Midland Legacy, mm-hmm. um, who has since decommitted and committed to Purdue of all Purdue. places, but, Purdue. um, you know, Right. He's, he's such good friends. I mean, he's so, so close with Garrett that you yeah. kind of expected that he wasn't going to stick here. Um, he wasn't going to get an offer to Clemson, but Purdue was a little bit of a, a, a weird fit just yeah. personally for me. Sure. I know Marcos like I do, but um, you know, missing out on Sawyer Robertson who ended up going to Baylor, that was tough, but he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't going to be anointed the starter, right? Like you're going to yeah. come in, you're going to compete, but the reality is, I think, and, and this might be Sonny just kind of being being the the smart head coach that he is and, and trying to instill some confidence in Chandler Morris, but he's been consistent in saying, you know, they're going to have to come in and they're going to have to beat Chandler in order to be the starter. They're not going to come in and be named the starter. They're not going to have a head start on Chandler. They're going to have to come in and they're going to have to show us a time to beat Chandler Morris out for this job, just like Max Duggan had to do last year. Right. And Max didn't do that. And then an injury is why Max Duggan had the yeah. season that he had. So, you know, you miss out on Sawyer Robertson, you miss out on uh, Walker Howard and yeah, that sucks. You lose, you lose a 24 commit that sucks, but the sky really isn't falling yet for when it comes to the quarterback position. Now you get through this may portal set session and you don't have a third quarterback on your roster. Then you can start to really maybe ask some questions about what's going on with how TCU is recruiting quarterbacks. Why can't this supposed quarterback guru land a quarterback? Right. Um, But I don't think we're there yet. And I, you know, just from having watched Chandler and Josh this spring, they're both throwing the football really, really well. Um, I don't think Josh is going to really push Chandler that much for the starting role, but I also don't think Chandler is walking in there every day, assuming that he has the starter role. I think the sting, I think there's a little bit of sting from last year with Chandler about how, you know, he got hurt and then he got healthy around the SMU game and Max had just dominated so quickly. So like right when he got in there that you got to ride with the hot hand and the hot hand took you all the way to the national championship. So um, I think he's really kind of in a mindset where he wants to come back and just remind folks, Hey, I, I beat that last guy out in camp last year. And if it wasn't for a knee injury, I could have been pretty special too. Um, so here, why don't you let me show you what, what I can do in 2023. And, and I think that's a great mentality for Chandler to have. You brought it up though. Like, can he stay healthy? And if he goes down and Josh Hoover's your next guy. Okay. Well behind Josh Hoover is Luke party who I love, but you gotta, you gotta get some more bodies in there yeah. to, to really field a, a fully deep and fully competitive roster um, like TC was hoping to do. And Kendall even mentioned that a little bit in his presser saying he doesn't think the depth is quite where it needs to be at some positions. He mentioned outside wide receiver. Uh, I think he was probably thinking quarterback, but he didn't say it. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, this is an imperfect roster, uh, but the cool thing is, is Sonny Dykes has probably purchased himself four or five years to show that he can build a roster at the power five level. And so this is kind of phase one of doing that. Yeah. I mean, you're at, kind of hit the nail on the head is that it's you have to go get somebody but you also don't want to upset the apple cart too much with the guy who you who's won the job once um and and you want to give him every opportunity to win it again um so i think just bringing it in with the competitive mindset makes a ton of sense but you can't go into the season um with with no again no offense whatsoever these guys are on the roster for a reason but i don't think that 
Hoover or Party are the guys that you want kind of two and three right now on the depth chart. If you're if you're a TCU fan and you're opening up against uh, you know Colorado and mm-hmm. and in a, a very challenging Big Twelve season. Um, speaking yeah. of rosters and roster movement, roster shuffling. After bringing back almost everybody a season ago, TC basketball is now going to be looking at a roster that's going to look very different than the one that they rolled out for um, the NCAA tournament um, here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Mike Miles, um, to the surprise of absolutely nobody, declared for the draft. Maybe a little bit um, of a tiny, tiny surprise that he went ahead, hired an agent, goes his final year of college eligibility. Uh, but he seems to be all in at the NBA draft process this year. Right move, wrong move. What, what were your feelings, um, you know, as, as he kind of delivered his press conference and made that announcement official? Yeah, I mean, this is we've known that this was happening even since he said he was coming back last year. Um I think it's the right move. And Jamie Dixon even said as much during the press conferences that this is the right time for him to go. Uh, the reality is, is that Mike Miles, if Mike Miles doesn't miss five games during the Big 12 slate, if he doesn't miss a couple non-conference games, he's probably in the running for first team All-American because of how well he was shooting the basketball this year. And that's yeah. I, that. maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Maybe I'm a little bit biased there, but you know, I think for, I think it's very he has a very clear path if he stays healthy to being big 12 player of the year. I mean, he's big 12 preseason player of the year. Um, But the reality is, is he came back this season with a couple of different goals. Some of them were shooting percentage goals. Some of them were leadership intangibles goals. And, you know, I was, I was at, you know, probably 60, 70% of those practices this year. And when Jamie Dixon says that he practiced the way a leader needs to practice this year, he's absolutely right. I mean, Mike was the first guy to get there. He was the last guy to leave. He was always putting up shots. He was always getting on his teammates if they were slacking, one of whom is not on the team anymore and committed to Colorado pretty recently, Um, right? And so uh, Mike did everything that he needed to do for this team. And I wrote about it on Frogs Insider on our Patreon page um, earlier on Sunday where it's, you know, this kid had an opportunity to play so many different places. Uh, He chose to stay close to home. He chose to help build a program when he could have gone to uh, a place that was already more established as a title contender or or a conference contender or whatever it might be. Um, And all he did year over year was get better, become more of a leader and take this team a little bit further. Right. And so I think when you talk about Mike miles uh, in my estimation, he's probably one of the top five greatest players in program history because of what he did for the program, how well he played throughout his three years here. And yeah, it's the right move for him to go. I mean, he shot 56% from two points. His two point shooting was 56% from the floor this year in a, in a league that plays insane defense. You know, his three point percentage uh, was like a little bit above 36% this year, which is pretty serviceable for a combo guard uh, in the league. Um, His turnovers were down. His assists were up. Um, and he played incredible defense for most of the year. I don't think people give Mike Miles enough credit for how well he plays defense these days. He's very physical, but he does it without fouling. Uh, and then we all know how fast he is and how well he attacks the yeah. rim. So, you know, I think I think he's going to go probably in the middle of the second round. Um, but then he's going to then he's going to get on the court. And you know, with guys like Mike Miles, just turn on the tape, and you'll yeah. be able to see what he can do. 
it's gonna, you know, I think that the biggest thing that's gonna hurt him is is just his size. Um, you know, he's he's measured in a little bit smaller than I think people anticipated that he would be, and and that is, you know, the NBA is still a league that values you know, the measurables, unfortunately, but mm. it's going to be really hard to keep him off a roster if he's given an opportunity. And I have no doubt in my mind that some team is going to fall in love with him. Like you said, kind of that middle, late middle of the, of the second round, um, you know, maybe he starts on a two-way contract, but I, I think that we, we've seen guys that have his special gifts, but don't have the the tape or the size, the measuring tape stuff that you want to see still have impacts on NBA rosters and in, in big moments in NBA games. Mm -hmm. I don't see any reason why Mike Miles can't be the next iteration of that. Um, and if he, uh, the good thing about maybe going kind of in that position is he's going to end up probably on a more veteran team, uh, maybe, maybe a more contending team um, mm -hmm. and, and uh, where he can have an, an impact is kind of that instant offense off the bench and uh, can, can be a guy who can go in that can draw fouls, get to the free throw line late in games and, and do the things that winning teams need from a, a backup point guard. Um, yeah. I, I, I tell you this much, I wouldn't mind having him on the Kings whatsoever. And I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't mind having him backing up Kyrie in Dallas either. I would not. I would not mind seeing the Dallas Mavericks draft Mike Miles. That would bring me great joy um, after how hard they screwed up by not drafting Desmond. I, you know, I think this is going to sound, I don't know, but I think a, a really great place for him to start his NBA career would be like Golden State. Yeah. Right. And just learn, just learn, yeah. soak up as much as you can from Steph Curry and just learn, learn, learn and work your, work your ass off and, and, you know, play, you know, 10 minutes and, and just do pay your dues yep. um, on a team that's going to compete for, for titles. And and that's the exact type of front office that's going to recognize what Mike mm -hmm. Miles is capable of and go get him late in the second round. I, yeah. I think so. A um, couple other guys that that are kind of weighing their draft options, Emmanuel Miller, um, who I think is, is doing the right thing by going through the process, but that I, I would venture to say is probably more likely than not coming back to TCU um, for one more season. And then Damian Baugh um, is the same thing. This is his second year. We, we talked about him last episode. Um, you know, both of these guys, kind of their options. I, I expect Damian Baugh to go pro. I think because of the size he has and the scoring ability, the, the kind of the multi-level scoring ability that he has, um, I think he's more likely to get drafted higher than Mike Miles, which might surprise some people, but um, he does have kind of the the measurables that they're looking for. And I think he's going to do so well in that pre-draft evaluation process mm -hmm. too. Like he's just built to do that very very well look if da if damian ball gets drafted ahead of mike miles it's going to be because of his measurables and yeah. because of his passing yep there is no there is no question about who is the best passer mm -hmm. on this ccu team the last two years it was damian ball some of the things he did with feeding his teammates in the right spot at the right moment splitting defenders with passes you know get just not only just getting the pass to the person at the right moment but getting it in the right pocket yes. so that a shooter can just fire it right out you know not have to adjust or shuffle his feet or whatever just getting the ball right where it needs to be time and time again my they I, probably the most underrated passer in yeah. the big 12 this year and i agree I, I, and, it, I, and it's I hard with marquise noel game. doing what he did to to be you know right. like you're gonna get overshadowed um, but hey, I'll tell you what, JB, and, and I'm a little older than you. So this name means a little something different to me than it does to you. But if you told me that we were going to lose Damian Ball and Mike Miles, I'm going to be a little bit sad. I'm going to be a little bit sad as a TCU fan. But if you told me the guy coming in to potentially replace some of that production is Jameer Nelson Jr. Again, not replace, like he's not Mike Miles, but as somebody who is of the age of watching Jameer Nelson senior with St. John's uh, or St. Joe's, sorry, back in the day, 
No, St. John's. No, St. Joe's. St. Joe's. St. Joe's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Him uh, and Delonte West. Yes, him and Delonte West. Oh, just magical, magical, magical backcourt pairing. That run they had in the NCAA tournament in the early 2000s is is among. I mean, that's when I started to really love March Madness um, because TCU was not a contender back in those days. Um, That's exciting because of the name. Exciting because of the history. You know, his dad is a coach um, now. He's he's got he's got that grew up with kind of a the, the NBA player and the coach's kid. Um, and super productive at his time at Delaware, a huge portal pickup for JB Dixon, probably, um, of all of the guys he's gotten to come over, this might be the best kind of ready-made player that transferred into TCU since the portal really became, uh, what it is today. Yeah. And I mean, he's averaged 20 points a game, four and a half rebounds, three and a half assists for, for Delaware last year. The question will be, can you do that in the big 12, yeah. right? Cause the, the big 12 is a different animal than every other conference in the country. I don't care what you want to say about how far the big 12 teams advance, blah, 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 whatever. I don't care. The big 12 is the best conference in the country. Point blank period. Can he perform at that level consistently? That will be the question. Now he's bigger than Mike. So he's probably going to be a little bit more physical as a guard. He's somewhere in between kind of Mike and Damien, as far as his size is concerned. But the reality is, is like as good of a player as he potentially can be for this team. They still need more help at guard with the loss of Damian Baugh as well. Um, They need big men as well. Uh, I mean, you're losing, you lost Eddie Lampkin to the portal. He's going to Colorado. Suleiman Dumbia just announced that he's going to the portal as well. So now you're down to Jacoby Coles and Xavier Corker, your two tallest guys on the team. And we saw how that played out against Drew Timmy and Gonzaga in the second round of the NCAA tournament. So I love the Jameer Nelson Jr. ad. Jameer Nelson was a phenomenal Dallas Maverick for like eight months and um, right before he retired. Dallas is this anomaly of a sports town where you either have these elite superstars who never fully achieve what you expect them to achieve, or they're just like the pre-retirement home, right? And the and, Dallas Ma- and also Look, you got Dirk, but you did get Dirk. We got Dirk. And you, you won Luka. a championship. We got Luca yeah. for now until he requests the trade. Uh, yeah, and that pre-retirement home Dallas Mavericks team in 2011 did, yeah, did pretty so all right good. for Peja. themselves. Pedro, yeah. Sean Marion, yeah. Tyson, twice good. injured. Tyson, Tyson yeah. Chandler, yeah. Um, uh, the oh my god, just that team was hilarious. He, Karan, he, people forget that Karan Butler Karan was Butler, on that team. Who's so, so good? He blew out his knee and, and yeah, couldn't play after like him. February. But he had a thing for crazy straws. That's what I remember about Karan Butler. Loved a crazy straw. Mm. I don't know why I know that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but. <laughs> So, so, and, and, you know, in light of, you know, recent, recent circumstances in, in Dallas, uh, basketball fans might be looking down the street to Fort Worth to, to see some good ball. But as, as you said, uh, there's going to be a lot of production to replace a ton of offense to replace. Um, you know, you're going to look at it. Wells is going to take a, a bigger role. I imagine scoring role next year. I'm comfortable with that. Um, you know, you hope that Emmanuel Miller kind of plays like he did the first half of the season where he was a guy that could drop 20, but you're going to have to bring in another explosive guard, another guy that can handle the pressure of playing in the big 12, preferably, you know, another veteran. And the thing that's going to suck now is that you're going to have a very senior laden team next fall, but not like elite superstar seniors. And you're going to have to start all over again the year after. I mean, I think we're looking at kind of a three-year period now where Jamie Dixon's going to have a hard time 
balancing, um, you know, the high school recruits along with the veteran players. He does have a couple of, of really solid uh, commits coming in, recruits coming in, guys that I think will eventually be strong players, but losing PJ Haggerty hurts for sure. Um, you know, obviously losing Mike Miles and those guys, you've got to have to develop that base of, of kids you can keep in your program for three, four years and develop while also filling in those gaps with those veterans coming from other programs. Um, you know, I, I think a, a step back next year is going to be expected unless he can kind of hit on one or two big names of guys that can be instant impact players and keep TCU kind of in the upper half of the big 12 while also, you know, being a, a tournament contender and and maybe at some point getting, getting the frogs pass around to 32. Yeah. You know, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I'm not as, I'm not saying I'm not losing sleep over PJ Haggerty hitting the transfer portal personally, but uh, you know, I mean, he's a great, he's a great player. He's a good guard. He was really upset about getting redshirted this yeah. year and his body language showed it for the rest of the True. season, which, Fair. you know, you just can't have that at this level. So um, I hope he finds a really good home. I have no doubt that he'll have a, su- a successful collegiate career uh, beyond beyond this season. But, I, I, you know, they're talking to a couple other folks in the portal. Yeah, Primo Spears is a guard from Georgetown that they've been in contact with. Uh, Zid Powell He's from fun. Buffalo. He, yeah, Primo's Prim- fun. Primo is a lot of fun. He's yeah. on a really bad Georgetown yeah. team this year, but he averaged he about play. 16 points a game, about yeah. five assists per game. That's another guy. You get him in there alongside Jameer Nelson Jr., and then you've got, um, you know, Hade Wells still in the mix. You maybe you've got a Jace Posey, who's a really kind of a two combo guard in the mix as well, coming into the signing class. And, and that's, that's a pretty good uh, guard depth. That's a pretty good guard room that you've also, got. Right how there. old, how old are we that we're talking about Jameer Nelson's kid transferring in as a senior to TCU. And then uh, James Posey's kid is coming in as a freshman. How old did we get? How did that happen? Pretty old. And you're going to be yeah. really upset with me for this. He's not in the portal right now, but I've heard uh, of rumbling that he could hit the portal and that's Avery Anderson, the third no. um, from Oklahoma state. No, and if he were to hit the portal, I would expect TCU to maybe reach hmm. out and, and have a conversation with him. So, um, you know, that's just, you know, another kid they they've, they've shown that they can bring in kids from, from Oklahoma state and, and Rondell Walker. Um, and you know, that's another guy that hasn't been a part of this guard conversation yet. who yeah. hopefully takes a big step forward next year as well. Um, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see Micah PV some play some of that two, three kind of yeah. hybrid, role next year if he can if, shoot the ball yeah so i'm saying if work, i'm micah pv and i'm jb dixon i'm, I'm just, telling I'm micah shooting threes thousand all threes season. yep a thousand threes four times a week yeah i'm going on the jj reddick off-season yeah. schedule yep. and I mean, i'm seriously. just i'm just shooting i'm shooting in the gym every single day yep because that the the micah pv has some of the most impressive athleticism that i've yeah. ever seen in a college he's a freak. athlete he's a freak. and and if he can just shoot the basketball be a three and d if that dude, if that dude can just be a he three, can drive. he can, yeah, but, uh, but even, drive to the rim. yeah, but yeah. even as if, if he could just fill that role, then that's a guy that, that could be an, an NBA player, but he's mm-hmm. got to be able to shoot yeah. 38% from three. Yeah. And, and he got better. you know, he got more aggressive. He got better at the course of the season. He definitely mm-hmm. showed it. He can add it to his game. But like I said, he's got to, he's got to be on the, the shooting machine for four hours a day, just shooting threes until his, yep. until he can't hold his arms up anymore. Um, that's news on TCU basketball, the season that we're in right now. Real tough weekend out in Lubbock for the Horn Frogs. Um, I, I would rank Friday night among the most disappointing recent losses I've seen from TCU. Now, there were a lot of factors playing into that. Um, playing in Lubbock is weird. Lubbock at night is weird. The wind was crazy. That's a little juice box of a stadium. 
Uh, they bounced back with a nice win on Saturday, and then and then Sunday as we're recording this, they they dropped another, uh, you know, jumped out to I think a three nothing lead after one, and and ultimately lost uh, ten to six, I believe, or ten, 10 to seven, to five, I believe, ten yeah. to five. Okay. Um, and, and if you just if you watch this team play, there's some things that and you you've spent more time with this team around these players in person. Um, I've watched almost all the games, but from a from a vantage point of you know ESPN plus, um, something about this team they're not as as locked in they don't seem to be as technically precise defensively or in the batter's box um and the body language seems to be really not great around this program and i think part of that is the youth the, the at key positions um you've got a freshman catcher you, you talked about uh you know kind of kind of carson bowen's in, impact and he, he's done a really really great job but that's a lot of pressure especially when you don't really have a true backup as you wrote about um, on our patreon which you guys can subscribe to for the bargain basement price of three dollars a month to get insight uh from jamie myself and a couple other people who, who will be dropping in here shortly that you'll be excited to see um plug uh but <laughs> but you know there there are definitely some issues on this team and it's it's not necessarily from a talent perspective it's a, a, a coming together and playing as a unit um you alluded to this last week on the podcast too is, is there's just some kind of non actually playing baseball things going wrong around this program how does this team kind of turn the corner and get back to where they need to be that's a that's a good question you know culture is a, a tricky one sometimes and i think that you know, in his 10 years as an assistant and, and, you know, now one and a half years at the helm, Kirk Sarlos has done a really good job of cultivating culture and recruiting high culture and character guys into the program. I think that it's a really big challenge when you transition one year from, all right, our head coach is leaving. One of our assistants is now the head coach. And then the next year, okay, that other longtime assistant is leaving and we're bringing in a completely new face. I I just think that that's a lot of coaching change two years in a row for some of these guys to deal with. And for those older guys, especially, I mean, Braden Taylor has had uh, two hitting coaches and two head coaches in three seasons now at TCU. Same thing goes for Elijah Nunez. Same thing goes for... Uh, you know, Curtis Byrne and a couple of these other guys is, is they maybe have a little bit of new coach fatigue at this point. And, uh, you know, I think that you're also making a huge shift from the style of coach that they're getting from Bill Moziello to TJ Bruce, right? Moziello is as hard nosed and as tough, but also as loving as you're going to find in this coaching business, right? Uh, Bill Moziello told me one time, he's like, I tell these guys two things every day. I expect perfection from you. And also I love you. I love you. Right. And so uh, he goes, I know you're going to fail the first one, which is why I tell you the second one, Mm -hmm. Um, which is just such a wonderful way to approach coaching. I think is like, I'm going to expect the world from you. And when you fail, not if you fail, but when you fail, I'm going to help you get back up and dust you off and tell you that I love you. And then we're going to attack the day again, the next day. Um, And TJ Bruce's coaching style is just vastly different from that. And so I think there's been an adjustment, not only on the field, but on the, on the practice field and in the locker room to what that new head coach is telling them, how he's delivering those messages and, and how they're, how they're responding to that. And, and I don't think it's as much on the freshmen, to be completely honest with you, yeah. as it is some of the older guys in that room who, who have just had, had a little bit of coaching whiplash over these last two seasons. Yeah. So I, I will say this, there is an abundance of talent on this roster mm-hmm. that much is, is 
well documented at this point, and there is no reason why for April into May into June this team can't catch a catch a catch a little bit of fire and and do some really cool things, right? I mean, they're sitting there at uh, I think they're what like nineteen and and eleven at this point, nineteen and twelve, um, top third of the of the Big Twelve still. Like the the sky is not falling. Similar similarly to um, the quarterback situation for, for TCU football, the sky is not falling. It might feel like it because you drop two of three in a, a weird ass stadium out in Lubbock where the wind always blows out at 40 miles an hour, but they're going to come back home this weekend. They're going to host Oklahoma state. You win two out of three there. And everybody's talking about how you're kind of hitting your stride at the right time. Um, baseball is baseball is pretty fickle. Sometimes you're going to start failing and you don't know why, but the important thing is, is that you pick yourself back up and you keep moving forward. And, and I think we're going to see that from the frogs down the stretch here. Well, and, and, you know, you talk about, you know, this losing the series to Texas Tech, they're still, I think they're tied in the standings with them now. You know, it's not like right. anybody has has run away with the Big 12. There's nobody that started just so red hot that you can't catch them. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to win the Big 12 to to make, you know, the postseason. You just need to to probably have a winning record in the Big 12 to do so. And, and there'll be other series coming along that should be better and getting home. Um, just been, it's very odd to see, um, first of all, like so many of these guys that we, you know, we're such a huge part of the roster kind of lose their jobs, um, you know, to, to younger players, transfer players this year. I mean, we've seen that kind of in left field and at first base. Um, it's also really weird to see Braden Taylor lose his composure. He got tossed, um, you know, arguing balls and strikes uh, in Sunday's game. And so you, I, I think that you, you put it really well and just saying that, that some we don't often enough think about new coaching transition you get the honeymoon phase you know we saw that with Kirk Starloos last year and winning the big 12 we saw that with Sonny Dykes this year and when Mm -hmm. you're winning and everything is good then everything tends to be good but the minute that some of the natural of well it's baseball you know that's baseball man right like some of that comes in and, and then you can start kind of blaming people outside of yourself and baseball is such a mental game um, a lot of these, these guys are still, even the veterans, most of these veterans are still 21 year old kids, you know, and so yeah. it's really hard to take ownership um, for yourself sometimes in those moments. Um, and, and it's into, it's easier to blame kind of the outside forces. Um, I, I found it really interesting. Um, and I, I'm gonna, I, I'm just blanking on, on what player it was right now. It might've been Anthony Silva talked about TJ Bruce, getting him out of the cage and these guys that play so much in the cage, you know, so many of their swings come in that environment and TJ Bruce wants to be so much more of a game situational uh, coach from an offensive perspective. Mm-hmm. That's a huge adjustment for again, baseball players who are so rote and routine and superstitious and all of those things. And so I think all of that makes a ton of sense. Um, and like you said, come back when a series this weekend, everybody yeah. smiles heading into the, the Easter break and, and you start fresh the next week. Yeah. And, and another thing too, is um, you know, we talked about this a little bit with, you know, with the football team, but it's like, you know, um, wow, I just totally blanked on where I was going with that. That's cool. Yeah, it's that's all right. It's, that's what the great. edit button's for. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's shoot, getting late in Texas, say? Jamie. Yeah, it's, it's 9.58. What was I going to say? Oh, it was going to be so good. Mm. Football team, new coaches, new styles, new attitudes. Man. No, it's fully gone. Okay. Fully if it gone. comes back, we can, we can yeah. stop in. No, it's all this. good. Yeah. Um, um, let's whip around some fun notes before, before we sign off for the day. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's great to talk about things that are in season, the sports that are in season and all the excitement we have for future seasons and football and basketball, but they're TCU 
players and TCU alum doing some really cool stuff in the world mm-hmm. of sports. Um, Major League Baseball had their opening day on Thursday. Uh, that led to a couple of cool things. Um, Max Duggan throwing out a first pitch to Sonny Dykes mm-hmm. at a Rangers game. Threw a strike, game. too. Threw a strike. A, a an absolute pitch. bullet. Beautiful pitch. Maybe mm-hmm. he missed his calling. Could have been a reliever, but uh, the, <laughs> so the Rangers, yeah, the Rangers are off to to a good start. I'm sure that makes uh, the North Texas fans happy. Um, I, I think that that's the second biggest event to take place in Arlington on that stretch of road this weekend, though, because Taylor Swift was also in town, and we know what where the the more important things are, oh. and, and that's the Swifties. It's at it's as Josh Hamilton once said, Texas isn't a baseball town. Which Just, there were a couple things wrong with that sentence. So but... many. There are a couple of things that might might have been a little too accurate, and that's why people got upset about it too. Could could be. It's a, the truth always hurts a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nick Lodolo, who is still mired in just the dregs of society with the Cincinnati Reds, um, but he had a hell of a debut uh, to his 2023 season with nine strikeouts. Looked really good. I think he only gave up one or two earned runs. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. they lost the game because they're the Reds. Um, right. But he man he. I watched the highlights and, and all of the swinging strikes. I think I think he uh, had the most string, swinging strikes of anybody so far this season. Uh, he looks super super sharp and and like he's gonna be uh, he's in he's in for a really big season with the Reds. Yeah, twenty two swing swinging strikes wow. in his first outing. Uh, you're right; it was the most in, in majors so far this year. And there, I think it was Pitching Ninja on Twitter had mm-hmm. a really nice video of all twenty two yeah. of them. Yep. And, you know, I just kept thinking about, man, I wish Mike Leach hadn't stolen the, the book title Swing Your Sword because the Pirates right. were not close yeah. on the bulk of those strikes it's that they were hacking filthy. away at. Uh, very cool. Uh, one cool thing, too, is, uh, you know, Johnny Hodges got a, a pretty sweet NIL deal recently. He signed with the Panther City lacrosse team, the pro lacrosse team in Fort Worth, because, as you know, before his football career at Navy, Johnny Hodges played lacrosse at Navy because he didn't get a single D one scholarship. Um, and so he played lacrosse at Navy before he ended up walking on and earning a scholarship at, uh, for football for the midshipmen. And so signed an NIL deal with Panzer city lacrosse, got out there and tossed some t-shirts out on awesome. Saturday, signed some autographs. That is just a really cool, that to me is like what NIL is yes. supposed to be. Totally like that's agree. a really cool paycheck for a kid uh, who has a natural connection to that organization. Uh, and they get to, you know, put him out in public, show him off a little bit. And, and he gets a, he gets a nice check from it too. That's pretty cool. Speaking of showing off, uh, TCU beats volleyball right now is flat out just showing off. Uh, number one, in the country. number one in the country. All they do is beat ranked opponents. Uh, just absolutely destroying people, a sport that not enough people talk about. Uh, you know, we, we kind of laughed about, um, I learned it's not meat smoking. It's meat judging. At Texas Tech, I got corrected by that on Twitter. Um, but you know, we talk about a lot of these kind of these these Olympic sports or these kind of other non-revenue sports. Um, and beach volleyball is is one of the the rising sports in you know just college athletics. One of the most fun sports to watch. I mean, I think we've all tuned in pretty religiously during the Olympics, the Summer Olympics for beach volleyball. TCU has a hell of a program. Uh, they are doing unbelievable things. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to be able to run it all the way through without without taking an L. But right now, it doesn't look like anybody can beat them. No, it doesn't. And, you know, they got so close to a national championship last year, fell short in the final four out in, uh, I believe it was in like Gulf Shores or Florida or somewhere like that, where they, they ended up dropping in the semifinals. 
I know that they want to get that back. Hector Gutierrez has got that thing really clicking right now. Yeah. Um, we talked about them a little bit and, and the support they have from the athletic department on the last episode. So if you missed that, go back and listen to episode yeah. one of Frogs Insider. But uh, super cool to see them kind of hitting their stride and and keeping the slate clean. Not only did they beat all five up, all four, four opponents that they had this weekend, they beat them all five to nothing. Yeah. They just absolutely ran through some of these Florida beach volleyball teams yeah. that they, that they faced this weekend. It was really them and men's tennis are just absolutely knocking off ranked opponents. People. Like it's nothing murdering just people. Unbelievable. In, stuff. In a very uh, figurative sense on the, yes, their quote unquote yes. battlefields, but yes. Um, and, and a great, great fall. The thing I love too is like, I feel like men's tennis and beach volleyball are two of the TC social media accounts that'll kind of come for people just a little bit. Oh, like yeah. no shame, no shame whatsoever. They talk to. their crap and they love it. And I'm here for it all day, every day. One of my favorite Twitter accounts is David Roditi's hat. Yes. Oh, it's d- a great, great account. And David Roditi yeah. himself is also an incredible also follow great follow. on Twitter. Great follow. Um, and then kind of round things out on news and notes is baseball did get another Juco commitment uh over the weekend zach coyer uh right-handed pitcher for mclennan community college great program. um which you know product cole fontanelle transferred in yep. uh, before the season from mclennan we see what he's doing he's won the first base spot now he's hitting the crap out of the ball really good addition for the frogs um his former teammate coyer uh is three and oh this year with an 11 k9 uh, which strikeouts per nine innings good. uh in 27 innings pitch and an era of one Sounds good. Just Feels a flat good. one ERA. His whips like almost non-existent at this point. Uh, very good pitcher. I need to do a little bit more of a deep dive into, into his arsenal. I haven't had much time to do that quite yet this weekend, but uh, I'm gonna gonna do a little bit of a recruiting update on Frogs uh, Insider on our Patreon this week. It'll include um, basketball recruiting notes for some of the guys that the team is talking to. It'll recruit it'll include a little bit of a profile on Coyer as well. Um, again, for the low 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 price of three dollars a month you'll get some of that info from and, and i will i will have some stuff popping out this week too finally um, a little bit late to the party but we'll be getting there for for those good. of you that don't hate my writing um which i don't know what percentage of people that is because i hear a lot for the ones that do so look, you know look, give me another know, chance you know as long as you're only moderately woke i think yes, everybody yeah okay. all my woke sports writing um <laughs> hey we super appreciate you guys tuning in um as jamie said at the top it is such a great honor for us to be a part of the republic of football network on dave campbell's texas football uh i I still think it's really weird to say that Frogs Insider, Jamie Puckett, Bliss Treepwasser, and Dave Campbell's Texas football in the same sentence and not being able to full joke. Um, so pretty <laughs> a pretty cool thing uh, for us to be a part of. We're super excited about the work we're going to be bringing you guys on Frogs Insider. Um, again, just Jamie has been so connected to this pro- to this, so many of the programs over the last year, um, even from my 2,000 mile away distance. Um, I'm, I'm staying connected to the Frogs as well. We're going to try to bring you guys insight that you're not going to get anywhere else. We've been doing this together for 10 years. Um, you know, we, we think we think we know what we're talking about most of the time. And, and I know that we enjoyed doing it. So we hope that you'll uh, listen to the podcast, check it out, rate, review, all of those good things, share it with your friends. Um, and if you like what we're doing, that you'll subscribe to the Patreon as well. Uh, we cannot be more excited about the stuff that we're going to be getting to announce here in the next few weeks. Uh, we we hope that it will make it worth your uh, investment in us um, and mm-hmm. your investment in Frogs Insider. Um, and we can promise you if we can't, that the people joining us down the line probably will. Yeah, really cool sponsorship opportunities coming up and some cool people going to join the team here. And uh, look, uh, as Melissa said, we think we know what we're talking about most of the time. We also trust you to tell us when you don't <laughs> think we know. Yes, we do. What you're talking, what we're talking about. So if you get into the Patreon, all of our articles have comments 
turned on so you can get in there and tell me that I'm stupid uh, and all of the other things that I know you guys yeah. have loved to tell me. Hashtag blame Jamie for the last 10 blame years. Jamie. So yep. very excited to keep it rolling. Very excited to be continuing to work with with you, Melissa. It's obviously Same. it's obviously been a joy for, for 10 years. Let's keep it rolling. God, 10 years. Wow. Crazy. Awesome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us, for listening. Um, let us hear about it on Twitter. You can find me at the Coach Melissa. Find Jamie at Frog Preacher. Um, we'd love to hear from you guys there. Go Frogs. Go Frogs. <laughs>